Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me for episode number 26 of the Training with Tucker podcast. My name is Tucker Gross. I am an endurance athlete and coach, and I started this podcast to put out short weekly episodes on a variety of different training topics to help athletes out there improve and have a deeper understanding of how to train. Today, I'm going to recap my experience at the Boston Marathon this past Monday. For the first time in the 125-year history of the Boston Marathon, the world's oldest marathon was run in the fall. Due to the COVID pandemic, there was no in-person Boston Marathon in April of 2020 or 21. It was moved to a fully virtual race in 2020, and in 21, it was postponed from April to October 11th with a reduced field size of about 18,000. I arrived in Boston on Saturday night, got my shakeout run in on Sunday morning at the Boston Common, went to the expo and picked up my bib, and of course purchased the iconic Boston Marathon jacket. I spent the rest of Sunday resting, watching some football, and eating. And then on Monday morning, I woke up bright and early at 6 a.m., had breakfast, jumped in a lift, and headed over to the common where the bag drop was, and the bus pickup was scheduled to be to take us out to Hopkinton. In retrospect, I should have gotten there earlier as the first two batches of buses filled up before I was able to get on. Um, So my wave was scheduled to load at 7.15 and depart by 7.30, but I didn't end up getting on a bus until much closer to 8. And so I got out to Hopkinton at about 8.50, which was 10 minutes before the first wave was allowed to start. I rode the bus out with my friend Dave and some of his buddies, and they're all keen on getting to the start line as close as possible to 9 a.m. so they could have less congestion on the course and more people to run with. I was also supposed to meet a couple friends uh, to run with them, but since I got there late, they started a few minutes before me. I was really committed to sticking to my routine even if that meant I'd be running alone. So instead of rushing to get to the start line as soon as possible, I hit the bathroom, did my full warm-up routine, and then I walked over to the start line. One of the changes that the BAA made to the event due to COVID was to essentially offer a rolling start instead of a mass start. So for each wave, you had a window uh, of time in which you could start. This was definitely different from previous races that I've done as I stood about 10 meters behind the start line and watched people just take their turns running over the start line in you know one by one or in small groups. This was not the, the mass start that most big city marathons are famous for. So at about 9.05, I embarked on my first Boston Marathon. Very quickly, I realized that I had missed the boat on running with a lot of people around my pace. I kept it very easy in that first mile in the downhill stretch, and still I was passing people left and right. 
Within the first couple miles though, this guy in a white singlet came up on my left side and we quickly fell into a good rhythm running stride for stride. We chatted a little bit and I found out that his name was Brandon, he was from Oklahoma, and he was shooting for a sub 240 as well. And we'd actually both PR'd at CIM in 2019, and he had run Boston a couple times before. And we spent the rest of the race within eyesight of each other, and ran most of it side by side. Since many of the people who had started right around 9am were running slower paces than us, we had to pick our way through and around lots of people, which kept that first 10 miles very interesting, but also probably added some distance to the race. Thinking back on the race, it, it seems like such a blur. The two things I remember the most from the first half of the race were the intensely loud scream tunnel at Wellesley College and going through all the sm small towns along the way, Hopkinton, Ashland, Natick, and Wellesley, all of them, you could feel how proud they were of the fact that the, the marathon came through their town. Lots of families with young kids reaching their hands out for high fives, um, inspirational and funny signs, cowbells, people cheering like crazy. However, the, the scariest part of the day came at mile eight when we came upon a woman who had collapsed on the course. She was being attended to by a couple spectators, and I found out later that she was an Olympic trials qualifier, and she had suffered a heart attack. She's in the hospital now, and I believe she's going to make a full recovery. Brandon and I came through the halfway point in one hour, 20 minutes, and eight seconds, right where I wanted to be with the target of going under 240. Soon afterwards, we went through downtown Wellesley, and I got to see my amazing supporters. Nicole, both my parents, and my sister Sarah had made the trip out to support me. They brought along the sign that my late Aunt Barb made me before my first marathon, and seeing my crew and the sign was such a huge boost of energy as I headed into the second half of the race. I've talked on this podcast pretty openly about my challenges with mental health and a weak left ankle. Both of those were a factor for me on race day. On the ride out from Boston to Hopkinton, I felt very anxious. I used some of the coping skills that I had been practicing, and by the time I towed the line, I was in a much better mental place. The ankle was a concern for me going into the race. It had held up okay on my longest long run and in my tune-up half marathon, but on some of my long runs, it had become an issue, and in the taper, I couldn't fight the feeling that it was a little weak. Around nine miles into the race, I was thinking about my ankle and hoping that it wouldn't become an issue, and I felt the beginnings of what I have felt before. And it's really tough to describe, but essentially it feels like my ankle is going to roll on every step. My toes tend to curl and my foot tightens as I tense up and try to fight this sensation. And I know that there is this psychological component to this, and so... As I dealt with this sensation of weakness and feeling like my ankle was going to roll, I kept telling myself to relax and just focus on the mile I was in. Thinking about my ankle and worrying that it might get worse and force me to stop and walk was clearly turning into a self-fulfilling situation. By reminding myself that I had control over my mind and I could redirect my thoughts, I was able to get through that and then the ankle stayed strong until the finish. 
The crux of the Boston Marathon is without a doubt the Newton Hills, which includes the infamous Heartbreak Hill, just after mile 20. However, the first 16 miles of the course were much more rolling hills than a gradual downhill. And between the rolling hills and the humidity, by mile 16, I knew I was in for a fight to the finish. The first hill in Newton saw Brandon build a gap on me. I think he probably held his pace and I dropped off a bit. And I knew that I wanted to feel good at Heartbreak Hill. And I wanted to be conservative in those first couple hills in Newton. But I used Brandon as my carrot. And once we got to the top of the first climb, I started to reel him back in bit by bit. We made that right hand turn at the firehouse and continued to climb through Newton. Then we came around the bend and I saw the Heartbreak Running Company store at mile 20 with a packed crowd of my old Heartbreaker teammates jammed in front of the store. Seeing them ignited the fire in me to conquer Heartbreak Hill. And by the time I was halfway up Heartbreak, I had caught back up to Brandon. We crested the hill and wound our way through Brookline and into Boston. Going down the hill, we passed my friend Dave. I tried to convince him to latch on to us, but he was in a world of hurt. I knew that in order to break 240, I would need some sub six minute miles in the last few downhill miles. And as we got to 23, I checked my watch and I knew that I would need to cover the remaining 3.2 miles in under 19 minutes. I felt good, so I started to push it, and I put a little gap on Brandon, and I kept passing other runners who appeared to have gone out too fast and were certainly paying the price. I checked my watch, and I saw a pace of 5.45, and I was truly amazed that at this stage of the race, I was running my fastest pace. And then I ran headfirst into the wall. Right around mile 24, I went from feeling so strong to feeling as though my legs just would not turn over. They would not respond and my pace dropped and Brandon soon caught up to me and cruised right on past me. We had pushed each other the whole morning and I again just used him to pull me along, not letting him get more than 100 feet ahead of me and I just kept my eyes glued to his back. The crowds in the last two miles were insane. Thousands of people cheering us runners on And yet, all I wanted was to be alone on a quiet street. The noise and all of the eyes on me while I suffered somehow made it worse. It was a feeling I've I've never experienced before, and I'm not exactly sure where it came from. Obviously, I am so incredibly grateful for all the people who came out to support. But for me, I think I had wanted to feel good enough at that point in the race to enjoy the crowds and be able to turn up the pace but the reality was all I could do was hang on for dear life and try to keep putting one foot in front of the other down Com Ave under Mass Ave right on Hereford and it was at this point that the sun came out for the first time all day I didn't smile much all race and when the sun hit me a smile broke out on my face I knew all I had left was to turn left on Boylston and stride towards the finish line. I ended up crossing the line in a time of 2 hours, 41 minutes, and 10 seconds, which was good for 324th out of the roughly 18,000 that started the Boston Marathon.
Boston tested me mentally and physically. The hills absolutely torched my quads and the humidity zapped my energy and completely altered my fueling requirements. Early on in the race, I had felt a knot in my stomach. I attribute it to the anxiety that I had felt beforehand, but I don't know for sure if that was what caused it. That knot didn't go away, but it didn't get much worse until the last 10 miles when it was very present and forced me to try and problem solve on the course. I stayed consistent with my fueling plan all race, taking in a Morton gel every 35 minutes. And as the knot in my stomach worsened, I tried to take in more Gatorade to get more sodium in my system. My evaluation was that I was sweating much more than normal due to the 90% humidity and the temperature being in the high 60s. And so I knew that I needed to replenish the sodium. Mentally and physically, I felt as though I had nothing left at mile 24. I passed a few people that were cramping or walking, and I felt somewhat envious of them. I wanted to stop, but I wouldn't allow myself to do it. I justified it to myself that by that point, I had less than 15 minutes of pain, even if I slowed down, and I just took it one minute at a time. The last couple marathons I have run, I've been able to summon the energy for a good finish line photo. But at Boston, I didn't have anything left. I raised my right arm and fist into the air as I crossed the line and then immediately had my hands on my knees. A volunteer came over to help me keep moving. I was handed a water bottle and slowly shuffled my way down Boylston. I was given my finisher's medal and made my way towards bag check. Several volunteers came over to me to ask if I was okay and if I needed a wheelchair. So I assume that I must have been looking pretty damn awful, which makes sense because I felt awful. I walked down towards the friends and family meeting area and walking towards me was my incredible crew. The hugs from Nicole and my family were the best feeling all day. I knew I'd done it. I had run a monster PR on a tough course in tough conditions. I had achieved my dream that was 10 years in the making of running the Boston Marathon. And the people I love the most in the world were there to witness it. When I chatted with my coach Ryan the week before the race, he had told me, no matter how awful you feel during the race, once you finish, you'll catch your breath within a few minutes and you'll be feeling much better soon after. And he was right. After taking in some Gatorade and water and sitting down for a bit, I started to become a human again. We made our way over to the course to watch Sarah cross the finish line with an amazing PR of 324. While it wasn't the 309.58 she had wanted, she shot her shot. And when things got tough, she got tougher and finished strong. The big takeaways that I have from this experience are that when it comes to the marathon distance, you really need to run on feel. I had a number of my athletes as well as a ton of friends running Chicago and Boston this past weekend. And I also followed along with the elites. So many people went out too hard and paid the price. The athletes that I coach who ran more on feel than pace and had a smart race plan, they still suffered in the heat and humidity, but they didn't blow up nearly as much as the general population of the race seemed to. Heat and humidity need to be factored into your race plan. 
it sucks to train with a certain time in mind and then have to throw that away just because of the weather. But you can't control the environment. And no matter the training, environmental factors will impact how you perform on race day. Boston and Chicago took no prisoners this past weekend. Many people missed their goals, hit the wall, and bonked big time. But it takes going through these sorts of experiences to learn what your limitations are and learn how to race smarter in all kinds of different situations. To everyone who raced at Boston, Chicago, Boulderthon, Hartford, or any other race this past weekend, awesome job. It takes a ton of courage and toughness just to get to the start line. So well done. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, send me an email at tuckergrosscoaching at gmail.com or reach out on Instagram at trainingwithtucker. One thing you can do to help me grow the podcast is to leave a review and share this with others who you think would benefit from hearing it. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And I look forward to bringing you more information to help you become the best version of yourself.